I had a conversation last night with someone, a staff member at St. Mary's, and I, he said to me, so uh, what are you going to pre- preach on this Sunday? I said, I'm going to preach on commitment. And he says, really, on the, on the very t- day, last day that you're preaching, where you're going to abandon your people, you're going to be preaching on commitment, how dare you? So uh, this, is, this is my last homily with you all, and um, so I hope, I hope I make it a good one. Uh, I'd like to speak about commitment, and uh, commitment, I think, uh, in our texts, we look at our texts, probably the most obvious application of commitment in our texts is actually to the religious life. So you've got Elijah and Elisha, these guys are prophets, and uh, they're, you know, celibate men who are basically vowed to poverty, and they're, you know, they're going around preaching and uh, Christ himself is that manner, and he's gathering these disciples around him, and he's really calling them to this kind of radical following. Uh, but for the most part, uh, for most Christians, commitment is made concrete in the uh, sacrament of marriage. And so this homily is also going to be kind of about marriage. It's going to be the application, if you can kind of think about it. It's commitment, but it's commitment in marriage, but commitment in, in general. Now, there's two aspects to commitment. The first aspect is that before you make your commitment, you need to use your head. So you don't want to get yourself into something that you really, it's unrealistic, you're not going to be able to commit yourself to. Uh, in, for when it comes to marriage, you want to make sure the person's compatible uh, with you, with your personality type, so forth and so on. So you want to use your head first before you commit. That's the first aspect. The second aspect of commitment is after having made your commitment, you got to go all the way, 100%, all the way in. You can't straddle the fence. you got to just be uh, all the way in and no looking back, just like what Jesus says to the last person. He says, no one putting their hand to the plow and looking what he's left behind is fit for the kingdom of heaven. The same kind of commitment is required in all different types of commitments, and especially in the commitment of marriage. Now, we see these two aspects play out very nicely in the four different uh, groups that Jesus rebukes in the Gospel. And uh, we see here four different personality types. Uh, The ancient commentators point out how these four different groups of people correspond to traditional uh, four different temperaments. And this is, I find this very interesting. Um, doesn't seem to me that this is a coincidence, this parallel here. These are old-fashioned words. You've probably heard them. You don't use them in your everyday uh, speech. But you have these four temperaments. Uh, the, the choleric temperament, the sanguine temperament, the melancholy, probably that one's the most common word. You know, someone's very melancholy. The melancholy temperament. And then finally, uh, the phlegmatic. Okay, that's a, that's a pretty strange word, right? But you've got these four traditional temperaments, and each of the groups in the gospel correspond to these temperaments. So the first is uh, James and John. And these guys, they want to toast the Samaritan village. So they're like, Lord, you want us to call down fire and destroy these guys? And uh, James and John exhibit the choleric temperament. They're passionate. They're impulsive. They often leap before they look. And Jesus has got to rebuke them. The second... Uh, temperament is the sanguine temperament. And this is exhibited by the guy who comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And the, the sanguine temperament, they're, they're kind of a warm-hearted person. They're friendly. They're optimistic. But they can be a little you know, flighty or changeable, a little flaky sometimes. So they kind of have a hard time staying on task. They kind of get into something and then they you know, the, lot, the 
bright eyes, and then they say, oh, maybe I'll go and do something else, and they're, they're changeable like that. So these first two temperaments are too quick to make commitments, and for them, the first aspect of commitment is the medicine. So they've got to use their heads before they get into a commitment. Okay, They've got to use their brains to put the brakes on things before they jump in. Now, the second two groups, so you got this third guy who comes along and he says, let me go bury my father. And the, the commentators say, this guy corresponds to the melancholy, melancholy temperament. And these types are very serious, they're introverted, they're cautious, um, but, and, and that's all good. But they're susceptible to a moodiness and depression, and they can become kind of morbidly self-absorbed. And that's why Jesus has actually got to shock this guy with a kind of a shocking statement, let the dead bury their dead. And uh, then you have the, the last guy who's he's very attached to his home and his family. And this exhibits the phlegmatic temperament. These, these personalities are pleasant individuals, but they really they kind of prefer their comfort zone, their sort of homebodies. And um, with the, the last two parties, Jesus, is, he doesn't tell them to slow down. He's got to kick him in the butt, actually. So they need the opposite. Uh, and we see the, the second aspect of commitment uh, is the medicine for, or the remedy for these guys. Okay? That second aspect being when you make your commitment, you've got to go all the way in. Now, when it comes to marriage, you've got to use your head. So you've got to, you know, if, you're, if you've got a partner and you're in the dating period uh, of the relationship, you've got to try to find someone who's compatible. You should get a third-party opinion if none of your friends or family have anything good to say about the person, usually that's a really bad sign that this person's not going to work out for you. And you should actively seek the opinion of family and friends about this person. Um, you, you know, if their basket, emotional basket cases, run. You know, if they're creeps, run. You know, so you use your head. Uh, but, you know, after you've done that and you've made your commitment, you've got to go all the way in. It's, it's any kind of commitment, including marriage, is kind of a gamble. It's a risk, and you've got to hedge your bets, but afterwards you've got to throw the dice at some point. You can't just keep floundering around, you know, not making the commitment. So that's what the melancholy personality, they despair, oh, I'll never find the right person, or um, what will the future hold? Uh, the phlegmatic person, they're very comfortably attached to the single life. And uh, these kinds of personalities, they've gone beyond the, the point of prudence, and they've gone to this point of they have an inability to commit themselves. And so what they need is to go all the way. And after having made that commitment, you've got to not look back. And you've got to put everything that you have into that commitment that you've made. We see this really well in the first uh, reading from the Old Testament with the prophet Elisha. And uh, Elisha, he's got a pretty serious farming business going on here. There's 11 other men working beside him, and they're plowing the field together, if you can imagine, 12 yoke of oxen all lined up side by side. They're plowing. It must have been huge fields. He must have had a lot of land. He had a lot of guys working for him. He had a big business going on. But as soon as Elijah calls him, he fires his workmen. He kills all 24 oxen. He burns all the equipment. He kisses his folks goodbye, and he hits the road. And uh, he went all the way in. It wasn't like he was saying, well, maybe I should leave a few oxen alive just in case the whole prophet thing doesn't work out and I kind of got to go back, you know. It was like a, you know, there's no prenuptial agreement with Elisha. There was no um, escape exit. He wasn't leaving himself any kind of escape exit. It was totally in. 
totally in. So we see that kind of commitment in Him. Also in Christ our Lord Himself, in the Gospel. I love this passage. Uh, it says that He resolutely determined to journey to Jerusalem. Well, what was waiting Him in Jerusalem? His, his death. Okay? Uh, he knew it. It was His crucifixion. And He... The lower powers of his soul were greatly disturbed and greatly agitated, but he nonetheless steeled himself in incredible resolve, and he went to Jerusalem, and he left Galilee behind. Now, that passage can be more literally translated, he set his face, he steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem. And where our face goes, it goes because our eyes go first. So we know Jesus' eyes were set they turned away from Galilee and they were set on Jerusalem. We've all heard the saying, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And, uh, you know, it's really actually a very profound proverb or maxim. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Now, if anybody's been to Galilee in the northern part of Israel, you know that Galilee has got lots of green grass. It's beautiful. It's a peaceful place. You just want to stay there forever. You wouldn't want to go down to a dusty, dirty, hot Jerusalem to meet... Uh, excruciating, torturous death. You wouldn't want to do that. So Jesus would have been tempted to see the grass as quite green and want to stay and kind of dwell in Galilee, but he didn't. He took his eyes off that green grass and he went down to Jerusalem. So for us, when we make our commitments, especially in marriage, there can be a death that's involved because there's a choice that we make that excludes all of these other choices. That's an amazing thing to think about. It's one choice with one person and all of these other potentialities and possibilities have been put to death. And you can find yourself sometimes kind of mourning the loss of all these other possibilities and potentials. Um, but that's natural. But you can't dwell on that. You've got to take your eyes off the green grass on the other side of the fence because it's an illusion. And instead what you've got to do is invest your energy in your own lawn. You've got to buy a lawnmower. You've got to weed it. You've got to Try to make it as well-groomed as you possibly can so that your grass is green. That's the real solution. Stay away from the fence as well. Don't tempt yourself. Okay, I think you guys know what I'm talking about. And it, it applies not just to marriage. It applies to any kind of commitment in life. Um, and how the story ends, though, we know. Jesus faces that death. And it's thereby that he sheds his blood, which establishes his, that marital covenant with the church. So that is Christ's marriage commitment. But afterwards, the first thing he says to his apostles when he rises from the dead, and he says to them through Mary Magdalene, tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. So there's a return. That's a beautiful thing. It's like a reward. And uh, today I celebrate my parents' 50th wedding anniversary, and I'm this... I'm going to preach this homily at their anniversary, okay? <laughs> and it's, it, there's an anniversary in a certain sense. After you've broken your butt and you've worked hard in your marriage for 30, 40 years or more, there can be a kind of a stabilization period. Not always. Sometimes you've got to work hard right to the very end. But there can be a stabilization period where it's kind of like a return to the honeymoon. And uh, that's a, it's a blessing and it's a reward. But that's the fruit of commitment. And any kind of commitment we make in our life, after you put in that hard work, there's a return to the green grass of Galilee. And my prayer is for myself and for all of us here that we be able to uh, enjoy that beautiful green grass after having made our commitments and embraced the cross that that entails.